0: the pandemic hit injected a lot of cash into the systems
1: How is inflation affecting the middle class
0: we do see a lot of corporations buying single-family homes credit unions and banks work on a margin
1: transportation prices are up 10 percent prices for meat are up nine percent
2: cash is trash kind of thing with more cash we print obviously that cash cash is worth less not
1: worthless what will happen if inflation continues to trend higher
0: everything will start to come down with it it's just not going to be an overnight fix Sarah Gouda
2: and Jim check from the now media group ask questions explore topics and shine a light on the conversations that matter
1: we're here today with Jay Christensen from Valley First Division of First West Credit Union he's a wealth planning specialist welcome Jay thank you for coming
0: thanks Sarah what a beautiful spot (laughs) beautiful view isn't it absolutely
1: so we're here to discuss inflation, and obviously the big news is it increased to four point seven, and that's the highest it's been since two thousand and three. Jim, I'll let you go first.
2: So, how do you, it's trending upward? We've seen the, the trend upward. Where do you see the roadmap forward? Like, what is what's the you know like what are you hearing and what do you understand what we're looking forward to here?
0: Yeah, I think uh, you know the first thing is to kind of get a grip on or a handle on what inf- what causes inflation because um, you know definitely we've gone from a you know a very low interest rate environment or inflationary environment and we're obviously trending the wrong way. And I think the best way to describe it is like a lot of things in economics is just supply and demand. So you know, if the demand for products uh, goes up and, uh, you know, there's money going into that, uh, drive those prices up, that's where we we get inflation. And I think right now, for a number of reasons, we're seeing uh, limited supply. And that could be, you know, I mean, gas is one of the biggest drivers of inflation right now, oil and gas, or consumer products, vehicles, things like that. I don't see the demand increasing uh, over the short term. So I uh, my guess is inflation is gonna to continue to rise. As of right now, the government you know hasn't done a huge amount to specifically uh, slow down inflation, but they have a number of tools they can use. So I guess the, the real question would be, when is that gonna happen?
2: Yeah, so they have two main tools, and one of those is interest rates, which is their typical tool that they apply. Interest rates for the Bank of Canada is now sitting at 0.025. So that's historically low, and they don't have a lot of room to go down. They only have room to go up, but they also have fiscal stimulus, which they have applied liberally. I guess that there's a lot of that out there, and that I guess a lot of people are concerned if they do move interest rates up, including a lot of homeowners. Would we see a lot of mortgage defaults and stuff like that? Because you know, like you're old enough to remember, as I am, that back in the you know the late 70s 80s interest rates were in the 15 16 17% and I don't think a lot of people could afford that if their mortgages jumped that high I think they'd be underwater in a hurry
0: yeah absolutely I, and it, you know that was probably the first thing that the uh, federal government did which is put in the stress testing for new people coming in to get mortgages they were then forced to qualify at a little bit higher rate than than what the current interest rate was and I think that was a foreshadow to the government saying hey this is one of our tools to to combat inflation is is to uh potentially raise rates um but i think they're handcuffed there because there are so many people that you know are you know have fairly large mortgages and are just qualifying and if if you see a you know a significant increase in those interest rates are going to start to default which um you know i know Federally, the government wouldn't want to see happen. So I think they have to be very careful on that side. I do believe we will see increases um, slightly going up. I think it's already built in to the equities market and to the fixed income market that that's potentially going to happen. Um, I think their, their better tool is, uh, or their the tool that they would be more uh, applicable to use would be the fiscal stimulus. And, you know, I think that, again, they have to be careful with that because that is creating some of the, the issues right now because um, you know, when obviously the pandemic hit injected a lot of cash into the systems so the idea is that people can, you know, still cover the basic cost of living. The first, you know, Year of the pandemic, it didn't really uh, affect inflation because I think a lot of people were sitting on that cash. They didn't have the either a the ability to spend it or you know the desire to go out and spend it. They were kind of hanging on to it. I think what's happening now is as globally the economy is starting to come back online. I you know I hesitate to say we're coming out of the pandemic, as it's that song that never ends. But what's happening now is people are starting to spend and the demand is there, but as mentioned earlier, the supply slowdown. down, you know, the microchips with vehicles can't get them vehicles expense going through the roof.
2: So one of the other arguments though, is it supply and demand and, and supply chain um, problems is, is one of the things. The other one is I'm, I'm sure you've heard the cash is trash kind of thing with the more cash we print. Obviously that cash cash is worth less, not worthless, but worth less than it was yesterday. So, you know, with negative, real negative yields, like saving cash in your bank account is actually not in your best interest at this point. Because you're, the, I think the real negative yields. I might get this number wrong. Is like under one percent, negative one percent. So I think you're actually losing purchasing power. So how much of this inflation is actually being driven on on the amount of money that's been injected into the system and that cash just being worth less and less? Like, I think in the U.S. numbers, I think twenty to forty percent. I've heard of the total cash in the us has been printed in the last 18 months
0: <clears throat> excuse me yeah i you know i mean again the more money that comes into the system the 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 lower that's going to drive the buying power of that cash down and you know theoretically force people to invest in, in other types of things to to grow that wealth
2: like the stock market
0: yeah and i th- i think that's you know probably the biggest challenge that we're having right now with investors is you know the the people that are comfortable with a little bit of volatility in their portfolios you know are are looking at the markets and and again money is wanting to go into the markets the equity markets have have done quite well within the last couple of days we've hit highs in both you know the US and the and the Canadian uh, stock markets the challenge has been the fixed income which is traditionally your safety cushion it's where people go or hold to reduce volatility. And you know, given where inflation is now, um, potential for interest rates to go up, that fixed income has kind of become, rather than the safety cushion in their portfolios, the lag on their portfolio. So you know, to, to outpace inflation, you have to look more to those, um, you know, the, the, more to the equities that are, that are the things that are driving the inflation, you know, the oil and gas prices going up, commodities going up, things like that are becoming more expensive. So to own them, own shares in them is, is a good thing, but obviously that creates volatility. So for those, you know, people that aren't comfortable with that based on, you know, their time horizon or just their comfort level, it it really is a challenge for them to try and not lose that buying power.
1: How's inflation affecting the middle class?
0: Well, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely tough on the middle class because um, you know, they're, they have debt, in a lot of cases, you know, Canada is obviously a country that has, has a fair amount of consumer debt. And, um, you know, there's the threat of that rates going up, meaning their, their monthly payments are going to go up. On the other hand, the things that they're buying, the, you know, the cost of living, the, you know, the gas, their food, you know, all those types of things are, are raising along with them. So they're really kind of losing on both ends of that, of that equation, as long as inflation goes up. So again, I would think we'd be looking to the federal government to to step in and try and at least get back to somewhere near their target rate.
2: There are some people that would say that inflation is the friend to the asset rich. Those are people that own a lot of stocks and, and a lot of, you know, real estate or, you know, commodities and that's something they tend to do well in inflationary environments. And, and the people that don't own a lot of assets, it tends to be, you know, very harmful. You know, if, if their main purchases are, you know, their rent, um, food and you know energy to either heat their homes or drive their cars and then energy factors into almost everything whether we're shipping goods because almost everything has an energy component to it so like and then you know they i think in canada they were saying i think sarah 2.1 that's what we've seen for wages in this past little while go up but inflation at 4.7 and in some cases that i'd say the more vulnerable people are probably that number would be higher because they're not buying you know the, the basket that cpi is based on
0: Absolutely, Uh, you know. I mean, you can look no farther than our local housing market. You know, to be a homeowner right now has has definitely paid off. The you know the prices of housing have has gone up, uh, especially if you own multiple houses other than your principal residence. If you have income properties or rental properties or things like that, because you know, right now the average homeowner in Kelowna you sell your house, you got to buy another place in the same in the same market environment. Whereas if you have, you know, excess properties, and you sell them, you know, there's definitely a big gain there. So so it would help people that that own those types of things, you know, companies that that, uh, you know, are driving the stock market, you know, those are going to go up. So I think inflation definitely helps the asset rich. Um, again, you know, the gap between there and the people that are consuming are the ones that are are paying for that. So do you think a
2: lot of the stock market gains are really being pushed by just that excess cash too because people are going from fixed income environments into the actual the shares and that is that just a way to move cash into into places where they're going to perform better than the real yield?
0: Yeah, no, there, I mean that's definitely part of it. Um, like I said, I think when when you know the stimulus got put into um, the system, a lot of people just sat on that for a while. And you didn't see you know, significant gains and, and people going out and purchasing. But, but now that the, the comfort level with that has changed and you know, people are starting to go on trips and hire back staff and, and you know, those wages will then drive um, people to stimulate the economy as well. So I think that's you know, certainly a big factor in, in why, that, uh, you know, why the cost of goods and services is going up but there's there's lots of you know different things that that I think drive that. I mean, you know, people are now saying, "Hey, you know, I can work anywhere. I don't have to work in a you know, an office tower in Vancouver." So they're selling properties at the coast and and moving to places like the Okanagan or, you know, even rural properties that they can work from and and you know, generate excess cash flow or excess um equity from the sale of their property, say at the coast or from Calgary or Toronto and and things like that. So all that money is then going into the system and, and, you know, creating that left.
1: I'm going to share some statistics from Stats Canada. So transportation prices are up 10%, prices for meat are up 9%, uh, fresh or frozen beef is up 14%. And like Jim mentioned, the wages have risen, but they've increased by 2.1 over the last 12 months, which is still half the price of inflation. So my question is, what is what will happen if inflation continues to trend higher?
0: Well, I mean, again, you have to look at at you know the the period that it, it stays high. I mean, I again, as we discussed at the beginning of the show, I I do believe it's going to continue to to trend up a little bit until, um, you know, until they really dig their teeth in and and try and slow this down. The question is, how long is it going to last? Right? Uh, you know, if you talk to a lot of the you know the economic experts they don't see it being you know more than six months to a year transitory down the is the word they like to use transitory yes <laughs> yeah so you know i i i don't think it's going to be a long-term uh issue um you know but Tell that to the person that's going out and trying to, you know, buy gas and buy food and, and things like that now. So I think we will start to see the government step in and, and do some minor tweaks. I, I do believe they're handcuffed and they can't come in and uh, make wholesale changes. But I think the big difference, as Jim mentioned back in the late seventies and the early eighties, I, I know my first mortgage was eleven and three quarter percent and I thought I was getting a good deal at the time. Um, they didn't have as many tools back then they they just kind of let the economy do what it is whereas now they're you know they obviously have those those tools to to kind of slow things down i definitely think there's certain things that you know from a federal government perspective they can't help with and and a lot of that is you know international or global trade and and things that are driving the prices up so as an example oil and gas um you know there's only a certain amount that they can do to to kind of slow that down but as, you know, as the economy kind of starts to settle out and, you know, as an example, you know, the, the easy example is with these uh, processors for, for vehicles, you know, once those start to come in and, and you know, there's more uh, there's more supply in the, in the trucks and, and car lines, those prices will start to come down, you know, everything will start to come down with it. It's just not going to be an overnight fix
2: the one that i i see trouble coming down is the one that's like i, I understand the truck one for sure because of the chips and that and just the shorters and used vehicles have, have seen that big jump too because most of the lots if you look around in town the lots are bare yeah, right they don't have new vehicles supply, so they're yeah. basically trying to sell used vehicles and they'll, they'll buy your used vehicle from you but the, the the home prices in canada seems to be a bigger issue and it seems to have a more a longer term reach i think we've seen you know Property values in the Okanagan, you know, anywhere from twenty-four to thirty percent increases over a year, which is pretty mm. dramatic. And and then you know, like even the mindset, some people think, well, that's you know, I'll get that next year, next year. But I mean, that doesn't that doesn't make a lot of sense. But you know, it has been trending quite high. Um, so and it basically is pricing young people kind of out of the market. Right? I think a lot of young people feel that they don't really even have a hope to to, to buy a home if, if it just keeps moving out of reach for them, and the down payment is a is a struggle for a lot of people like I think that's like one of the biggest biggest things so I guess the point of this question is we do see a lot of corporations buying single-family homes we do see a lot of them through this stimulus accessing the Bank of Canada for bonds and that the the Bank of Canada is buying bonds so that you know because they're putting money into the market but these these large hedge funds are buying single-family homes um, in Toronto and I don't know probably likely all across Canada and in in the U.S. it's happening as well so they're competing with um, Canadians to buy homes but they're accessing basically you could you could argue taxpayer money because it's Canadian funds that are bonds that you know you can't go get a 10-year bond that you know that pays a coupon a point zero three five neither can I so they can access those funds how is that or how do we see that kind of like shaping out
0: well you know I mean, one of the things that's driving housing prices obviously is low interest rates. So people are able to go out and afford for, you know, much larger mortgages than you know, when I was first uh, getting into the housing market. So I think that's driving the house price up and, and if interest rates do start to trickle up, I think that's probably, at least locally, um, the only thing that's going to soften the, the price of houses is just slowing down that access to capital. Or to, to cheap capital, um, you know. The other thing is, I think um, you know we have to pivot as a country, uh, as a nation, in being able to build more affordable housing. And when I say affordable housing, I mean like condos and townhouses and things like that. I mean the days of you know everybody owning a you know a standalone five bedroom house on a decent sized plot of land. You know, is is I wouldn't say it's going to be a thing of the past, but it's not going to be as normal as it was maybe twenty years ago. I think we have to be more creative that way, and that's just you know again a. Uh,
2: yeah, you ahead. and I are of similar age, yeah. and I'm you know when we were probably in our, I know I was in my you know mid twenties. You're just thinking, you kind of knew you were going to buy a home because you kind of planned for that. Yeah. I think a lot of, you I mean, like you know Sarah can say to this is, yeah. I think a lot of mm-hmm. young people don't think that's even in their future though. Would, yeah, would, what would you say to that, Sarah?
1: Yeah, no, it's um, just the way that inflation is increasing. It's not something I'm considering now, or is it an option now?
0: Well, it's it's definitely more difficult. Like I, you know, I said when I bought that first house, my my mortgage was eleven and three quarters percent. It was the prototypical white picket fence, down fairly close to downtown Calgary. It was eighty two thousand dollars for my house, right? Very affordable. It I paid one hundred and three for my first house, yeah, brand new home. Yeah. And I was well, going to put it in a white picket on, fence, right? but I, I, yeah.
2: I just did in the backyard. I couldn't afford the white picket fence at the time, but yeah, my mortgage I think was in the eleven or twelve yeah. percent range. And I think when I went to college, they said if anything you can grab ten percent or less long term, just take whatever term you can get at ten percent or less, and and you know ten percent or less and that would be,
0: you know, ten percent would be a high mortgage oh, rate right absolutely. now. Absolutely, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, you know, this was an old wartime one and a half story and in on a big lot in downtown or close to downtown Calgary and you know back then to to move into a house like a standalone I think this was a three-bedroom house because it wasn't you know a super big house but to do that was cheaper than paying rent at the time, just in a in a townhouse in Calgary. So, you know, it was it was affordable to get into the housing market. It was actually more affo- if you could find the down payment, whether that was from savings or gifting or what ha- whatever it was. If you could scratch up enough money to put a down payment on a house, it was cheaper than but renting.
2: You were in Alberta, as I was. You could do simple mortgages in Alberta. Like if you had somebody that was willing to let you take over the house, you could do it without even yep. qualifying. I don't think that's available anymore, but
0: yeah.
1: How are banks affected by inflation?
0: Well, uh, you know, like any other uh, business, banks are are you know in it to to either make a profit. You know, if you look at a You know, a chartered bank—they're trying to make profit for their shareholders. Credit um, unions—we're trying to uh, be profitable and give uh, uh, the proceeds of that back to our members in in different in different types of products and services that we supply. So, to be what you know, I'll use the credit union as an example, but to be what we want to be to our members, we need to be profitable and and. Credit unions and banks work on a margin, and there's a margin if you um, take people's investments in and invest them. You know, as an example, in a term deposit, and then we turn around and lend that money out in a mortgage. There's a margin in there, and that's how you know how all the businesses all businesses run. So, with um, with inflation going up and interest rates potentially going up, those margins then compress. So it's harder and harder for um, financial institutions in general to be profitable, and and like I say, that profitability. You know, I, again, as in Valley First's uh, case, you know, we have a simply free account. So our anybody that comes in and opens up an account at Valley First doesn't have to pay any uh, service charges on their accounts. We do that because you know we've been able to be profitable, um, and and give that back to our members whereas you know when those margins shrink it makes it much more difficult to do those kind of things
2: so in the states they have things like robin hood and that that allow young people to access the stock market where a lot of the the gains have been is that like you're saying your your bank offers you know like free banking for you know new people or young people is there a way for them to trade stocks with in your guys's platform and a reasonable kind of thing like i think there's some, some in Canada too that do that too like wealth simple or something
0: Yeah well we um, so are simply Free accounts for everybody but for for younger people that are, are getting into the markets you know from a wealth perspective which is kind of my my area at Valley first um, we're uh, basically we have the same tools that you would get at the charter banks or independent places like that. So specifically for the younger investors, um, we have an online discount brokerage our, ours is q trade investor and you know it enables them to get in there they don't have huge um, huge uh, levels to open up an account you, you can get started relatively easily there and and from a trade perspective it doesn't I think it's fairly reasonable as far as what the trades are. So if somebody wants to go that route, um, they're able to do that. We also have um, what we call virtual wealth, which is our, our uh, kind of platform where somebody would come on and kind of do the investing themselves, but, but we'll get some, um, some help from the program to you know go into portfolios they don't have to worry maybe so much about following individual stocks and the timing of all of that so it it's the ability to get people um interested and uh and get some knowledge around their investing uh when they're young which you know typically if you walked into you know somewhere and looked for an advisor and you're just starting out you may not get their top top level of service this way, you know, it gets people able to do that to start building their wealth, start um, learning about the markets and, and how to do that um, without, you know, necessarily. And and I mean, it's all online now, so I, I think that generation. There's lots of people now that would prefer to deal online and prefer to do online banking and online investing and things like that.
2: Yeah. So, like, for inflation running hot, the only way that you know young people are gonna like saving money itself per se like putting it in your mattress or even putting it in the bank. It doesn't seem to be a like an the smartest thing you can do with cash right now. Like if you do save setting aside some money or is putting it in some type of appreciating asset or, or something that pays dividends or what would you recommend to like say some younger people that are trying to build
0: something? Yeah. Well I mean I What I would recommend to everybody is, you know, come in and talk to somebody, somebody that's that's able to, you know, kind of help you through the the ups and the downs of the markets, educate you um, and put a plan together. I think the most important thing is, you know, you get a lot of people that are investing or, you know, embarking on that journey and they have no idea what their destination is or what they're what they're working towards. So it's hard to really um, become convicted on that if uh, if you don't know you know, what you're looking for. So, you know, work with somebody to put together a plan and then and then see what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of growth you need. You know, for the younger people, I think it's all about education. It's all about, you know, figuring out where you want to go. Um, you know, they're the ones that are able to uh, stomach a little bit more volatility. They have the longer time horizon. Like I said, you know, I think it's very concerning right now with inflation, but I, I'm not hearing that it's going to be a long-term you know a long-term issue because we do now have tools to to combat it so you know i think i think it's important to get started early it's important to have a plan to me it's it's more the uh, you know the fixed income people the the people that are already retired that that really need to come in and kind of get a good idea of you know of what they need to do you know how do we how do we beat inflation? You know, with as little risk as possible. And, yeah, I
2: mean, and you can talk about a lot of factors for sure, and I think you know, like we're starting to hear a lot more of it in the news that um, some of the drivers are inflation. Think the money's too, the policies are too easy. People aren't going back to work, and so there's a lot of, and we see this in Kelowna. We see a lot of signs up that are you know people trying to hire people, and you know they're saying people are you know not coming back to work, and that's you know causing you know some places to raise their wages which obviously they say then they pass on those costs and then we have the supply chain disruptions that are causing a lot of that and we're seeing that even probably you know the last couple days we've seen some supply chain disruptions that are more local to what we're doing here but you know those things are happening worldwide with like you say with chips and and it's happening you know there was crops and fields and stuff weren't being picked and all kinds of stuff that's going on I I guess the the question and all that a lot of that stuff seems confusing and and kind of like a lot of people just like I, I don't you know know what to do about inflation like is there something that the average middle-class person can do to kind of hedge against inflation or help themselves or make a plan or is it just basically are they at the mercy of what's going on in the in the in the world the economic forces in the world Canada or locally
0: yeah you know I I mean there's there's you know there's not a lot of uh, that middle people can do to you know to reverse inflation as an example or to slow inflation down. Again, that's more you know at a, obviously a government policy level. You know, I think again it's all about knowledge. It's it's learning exactly what that is. Um, you know, you look at one of the big drivers of inflation is obviously um, oil and gas, gas for your car. You know, um, we're at a at a point in time um, you know where we're trying to limit greenhouse gas emissions, climate change, all that kind of stuff. So so government policy is going into place to stem the the need for oil and gas. The other side of that coin is as a community, we're still all consuming that as an economy. So they're kind of trying to turn the tap off before we've actually trained ourselves not to, to consume oil and gas, which, I totally understand why they're doing it, but it's there's a bit of a disconnect there, which is causing that inflation to go up. So, as a consumer, how do I combat that? You know, yeah. public uh, transit, so, walk to work. So there is like you know those kinds of things.
2: The cars, but then natural gas, which the futures have been sitting around two dollars for the past ten years or so. All of a sudden, those futures shot past six dollars, and I think they're around five today or something like that. So, you know, those are you know, two to 300% gains in natural gas. And most people in Kelowna heat with natural gas, something that they don't really have a, you know, they can't really decide tomorrow that I'm not going to heat my house with natural gas. They're okay. going to, because most people don't have wood fireplaces and that kind of stuff. So, so those things are really beyond the control. And, and we talk about energy and electric I don't know if you know, but if you ever try to heat your home with electricity here in Kelowna, <laughs> you're going to be in for a surprise yeah. when the bill shows up. Yeah. Right? It's not cheap to heat your home with electricity, but natural gas is is, is quite a bit cheaper, and it is a cleaner energy compared yeah. to you know oil. And but so I, I don't know. Like it, it's like you know, like there was those big LNG projects and all that stuff. Like so, how do people deal with that when those those price increases? hit them like i mean i think you know oil and oil as well because you know during covid futures of oil hit negative Mm ten dollars a barrel and and now we're pushing eighty dollars a barrel today and a lot of people are saying it's going to go past a hundred which i think the record was 120 dollars a barrel at one point um so like energy is is definitely a big one energy is in everything we basically do the phone that you use the Mm -hmm. you know how do you get to work and everything you consume is different Basically delivered to you with energy, so I think that's the the tough one. That you know, like the policies of the government really affect that inflation component. And I know that that the bank doesn't have an answer to that because it's clearly outside
0: your guys' scope. But it's definitely a concern, I think, for many Canadians. No, absolutely. And and you know, the the reality is, um, you know, people have a lot of people have a you know a finite amount of. Uh, funds that they're available to them on a monthly basis. And you know, what you tend to see is if the things that they can't control start to go up, that's when they, you know, how do you combat it? You don't go on those trips. You don't, you know, buy the the vehicle you don't need. You start cutting back, which now starts to reverse a little bit that supply and demand issue. So the demand of those products start to go down and, and you will see, you know, a little softening in those types of markets. Um, you know, and hopefully that that's part of the, you know, the the equation or the uh, response to, to lowering inflation, right? So right now there's excess cash coming into the market, both from government stimulus and, you know, the people that are working are, are from a wage perspective or spending that money. They you know had a had a year off where they, you know, everybody basically sat on their sat on their hands and just waited to see what was going to happen, and now we're seeing the the opposite side of that. You know, people are clamoring to go on you know, go on trips and, you know, buy vehicles and, you know, as, as much as, you know, I, uh, I go fill up my, my truck with gas and it hurts at the pump, you know, I'm still driving around to see people and, you know, and do the things I can do. So, you know, it's, it's at what point is the tipping point where that has to, that has to slow down to bring, to bring prices down.
1: Uh, Jim, as you like to say, cash is trash. So Jay, my question is, how can we protect cash from inflation? Can we protect cash from inflation?
0: Uh, you can't protect cash necessarily from inflation because, you know, I, I think really that's, you know, therein lies the problem. Is is inflation is, you know, exceeding what what cash is doing for you right now. And and you know, cash really is meant to be a short term, you know, liquidity. I need to you know have some to access. You know the basics of life, and buy things and make purchases. Um, whereas, you know, to appreciate that cash or or those assets, you need to um, to invest them into something that's you know hopefully going to outpace inflation and and then give you a net a net growth on that. And you know, with with cash right now, it's that's not happening. I, I,
1: sorry, s- go ahead. No,
0: I was just going to say, like, to feed off of that
2: when we were younger if you had a million dollars you could almost live off the interest payments right if you got 10 percent interest you know that you get a hundred thousand dollars a year and you'd live off of that but i think most people that you know that mentality of saving just cash and putting it in gic's is i think that's gone at the moment for sure cash is not a i mean cash is transactional so you need cash to move stuff around the liquidity and to, to look at opportunities but it's definitely not Something that was instilled in us, where you put it in your mattress or or kept it
0: somewhere yeah, absolutely i you know it it was a different time when when you could get that ten percent or twelve percent in a term deposit, and you know again i've it was prior to my uh my tenure in the industry, but you know i've talked to people that you know were pushing closer to twenty percent in in term deposits that uh, um, you know, even though inflation might have been, you know, a lo- certainly a lot higher back then, um, it was still a viable option to to combat that. There wasn't as big of a gap. You know, if you're, you know, if you're thinking, you know, you're a percent or two. You know, if you're in the ten percent range and you're you're losing a percent to inflation, you know, that's that's ten percent. If you're at, you know, interest rates are almost zero, and is let's say one percent, and inflation's five percent now you're losing eighty percent to inflation, right? So the the mar- the margin gets bigger, the percentage gets bigger as you get lower, so it becomes more important to be able to keep pace. And and like I said, the the challenge is the the people that aren't comfortable with, you know, equity markets and and you know Different options that you that you know you have in your toolbox to to either keep up with inflation or exceed it, and uh, like I said, you know one of the things that I think is really important is the planning aspect of it, and you know we have we have members that come in all the time and and you know, they're not super comfortable with, with great risk, but if they understand, you know, low risk and, and balancing across different asset classes and still holding some cash for, you know, for that short-term liquidity, they do have some tools where they can, you know, keep pace and, and at least, you know, not, not fall too far behind until, until we get through this, you know, hopefully um, short-term inflation.
1: Can we hear? So obviously, we noticed the alarming jump in CPI. My question is, what are the monetary tools available to the bank? And can they use it to do something about inflation?
0: Uh, I mean, it's tough from like a microeconomic perspective for a bank or a credit union themselves to do anything, um, because you know, as an example, if, if you know people are coming in and borrowing from a credit union or from a bank, you know, and they need to access that cash, they can get it from the Bank of Canada and different entities like that. So they're kind of, you know, handcuffed a little bit as far as what what they can do um, as other than maybe, you know, becoming a little bit more. And, and you wouldn't see that so much, you know, at a credit union level, but maybe at a, a major bank level saying you know, we're going to, you know, become a lot looser in our, in our restrictions to lend money. But again, in, in this environment, I don't really see that happening. I think it's, you know, from a financial institute, it's the Bank of Canada that has to, has to be the leader through this and, and make those changes. And, you know, as, as the Bank of Canada rate, the target rate goes up, then you'll see interest rates rise at the, you know, at the local levels, but really we're, we're taking our lead from the Bank of Canada
2: do you have anything that that you want to talk about that we might have missed in this discussion on inflation from your perspective or
0: um, well we've covered an awful lot um, like i said a you know i i think um, i think when it comes to wealth um you know dealing with inflation whether it's you know on your day-to-day purchases or you know my my kind of area which is you know long-term wealth appreciation uh, to be able to either a you know, get to retirement, have that retirement that you want or, or, um, you know, live in retirement. I, again, it, to me, it all comes back to planning and kind of knowing what's going on, knowing what your tools are to, um, you know, to combat inflation. Like I said, that, you know, people that are, you know, have been investing in a while and have that ability for a little bit of growth in their in their portfolios or are actually doing quite well right now. Um, it's the, you know, it's the more you know, more risk averse people that I think are really, you know, having a tough time because, you know, you got inflation rising and their historical investment tools, not keeping up with that. Um, So it's just a matter of coming in, educating yourself on some some options for you that, that aren't, you know, necessarily big and scary, just something that maybe is new to you and coming up with that plan so that we can look again, longer term, you know, it's, you know, you're seeing it in the grocery stores now. I was, as I left Valley First at Orchard Plaza, there was a, a reporter standing there doing a story on the, the panic buying. And, and, you know, that's a very short term, oh my gosh, something's happening. We need to react to it as opposed to, you know, they're going to get it figured out. There's other supply chain avenues. You know, let's let's look bigger picture and, and kind of take a step back from our our own personal situations and, and come up with a plan. That
2: sounds like um, we just did a... a story on it sounds like the government does have a plan to get some of the trucks moving anyway with some of the roads so that should alleviate that that stress locally anyway which is good right I mean get the trucks moving um, because Vancouver port is awfully important to what we do this this next part here we may or may not use we'll see uh, (laughs) depending on what you like because we'll just do a an ending here and maybe we'll take it in but we'll take this piece out for sure um, asset classes, you tell me if you want to talk about it or not. Like sure. different asset classes to kind of combat inflation for, yep. for the people that do have money to, to put in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, one being crypto. Is that an area that, that the banks are looking at or is that an area that is kind of yeah. like Valley First? In yeah, no, I mean,
0: Valley First itself, I don't, you know, as far as I know, isn't looking at something like that. Um, again, our world is more... Um, you know, from the branch lever portfolios, you know, equity markets, things like that. Um, You know, if you look at most um, equity fund managers, nobody's really, they, it's too hard to quantify cryptocurrency because right now, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) right now it's very sentiment based. You know, there's, there, it's hard for it to, uh, it's hard for them to really define where that's going. Yeah, I would say a great
2: speculation and a terrible asset. I mean, that's my yeah, opinion, though. Sure. I'm not saying my opinion is right. Yeah, yeah. But I would
0: look at it that way. No, and, and I then, think I think that's how most fund managers look at mm-hmm. it, and they're saying, you know, I don't know that I would want to own this myself. I think uh, a cryptocurrency EFT, like electronically fund traded mm-hmm. or ETF, came on, um, but that's right. You know that's up to you to buy it and own right. own what, what it is, right? And like then he, you
2: the, the more classic or traditional safe haven asset where people tend to go and hide is gold or, or precious yeah. metals, silver, gold, and, and a, you know platinum would be included mm-hmm. in there too. Is that something that you would include in a portfolio? Um,
0: yes, like I, I we don't necessarily include the physical, you know, bullion um, in, you know and and recommend people go out and buy that but definitely our portfolios are very very diversified so they would have you know precious metals in there you know gold and silver and our tsx is still made up like our you know our gdp is a lot about in
2: the resource sector for sure, for right? sure. So it's hard right. to avoid that in canada yeah. if you're looking at a basket of stocks that yeah. are tsx related right like yeah. there's a lot think, of miners here
0: yeah i mean i think one of the things that really helped uh, people's portfolios in general is again back when i started in this industry you were limited to how much foreign investments you could have let's say as an example in an rsp where they've gotten rid of that requirement now cuz the reality is you know canada's you know sub 3% of the world economy i think it's around 2.6 or 2.8% of the world economy and and yet we were you know 15 years ago forced to just invest primarily in that, whereas now it's you need to be diversified. I mean, I think Canada's, you know, done very, very well in in resources and mining and, you know, obviously energy and timber and things like that. But uh, as an investor, you do need access to to other things yeah.
2: where up there is one of the most resource rich nations in the world that has some diversity that's from the, the forestry industry, the mining industry and the oil and gas industry. and as well as fishing and um, you know, our farming, you know, all big industries in Canada and all resource-based. Um, and I think, you know, like, I mean, I'll, I'll leave you with a point that I think sometimes we forget how important resources are to Canada. And, and I worked for a mining company at one point and in mining companies, even like the, at the um, lower end of the pay scale, those pay scale numbers are quite high. Um, whereas in if you take a lot of these, you know, like a lot of pushes for tech startups and stuff like that, and I'm not saying all of them are like that, but there's quite a few of them that you create one billionaire and a bunch of people working for minimum wage, and it's not a really um, equitable kind of like distribution of that wealth in those, in those companies. Whereas in the resource sector, there tends to be a lot of people that do quite well. And I mean, a lot of them are unionized workforces and stuff like that, but, um, but that industry tends to, to pay quite well.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that's why, uh, you know, you're seeing in the States right now, a big push to build infrastructure and, and, uh, you know, they're doing their part to inject money into the economy, which is, I think, something that you are seeing in Canada a little bit with, you know, building roads and things Uh. like that. And those are unionized jobs generally. So they're, they're good paying jobs. And I I think, uh, you know, the more as an economy, the more, or even as a nation, the more we can generate, you know, those kind of jobs, I think the better. But I think that that point should be driven home right now for sure.
2: Because if you look to the United States, they have interstates. That's their main highways. They have, you know, uh, the one that we're close to is I-5, but there's I's everywhere. I mean, they have, you know, like a network of roads. We look at Canada right now. We've cut off Vancouver, our number one highway. We only really have one number one high the Trans-Canada Highway. And it still is, you could argue in some places, like going through Golden Net, that it's still a two-lane road. And and why doesn't Canada invest more into its you know, infrastructure and, and putting together like that road at a minimum should be four-laned across Canada. And then there should be an alternative or secondary route that is similar to that. I mean, and the same goes for our rail system.
0: Yeah, there's, there's no question. I mean, I think obviously a challenge is geography. You know, some of this is going through the Rockies and, mm-hmm. and places like that. But, you know, it's definitely possible to do that, uh, to have, uh, you know, redundant highways that if one, you know, ha- has a challenge, like we're seeing right now, that there's, there's other ways you can go. And, you know, the example of, you know, with the forest fires in, I believe it was Glenmore, West Kelowna, that they were, you know, threatening to burn the only source of power for that for that community, and there was no no redundant mm-hmm. backup, so there's there's lots of areas we can go um, to go with that, and you know that may be going forward how how the government pivots to to inject stimulus as opposed to you know the way that, you know with the, the CERB and things like that they've done in the right. past, which I think I think was you know super important and and you know for peace of mind of people if nothing else, and you know um, the people that were you know, losing jobs and, and you know, we're in the in the process of losing where they lived. So I think it was a, a, a good response and a, a good way to do it. But I definitely think we're at a point now where we need to to pivot that and, you know, get people back to work.
2: Yeah, I think that's kind of like a common thought. I think just like um, tapering, I guess, would be the word that, that people are looking for.
0: I mean, that's all I have for today.
1: Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Jay. Thank you for coming today.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. This was... Was fun. I feel very hip. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of today's conversation. If you have any topics that you'd like to have featured,
2: please email Sarah Gouda at sgouda at nowmediagroup.ca. That's s-g-o-u-d-a at nowmediagroup.ca.